Walt Disney was the hero in his story. He built Disneyland for the purpose of telling stories, stories that I now know are challenging us to change, challenging us to go out and live our own great story. When we think of Disneyland, we often think about the fun rides, treats, and charming characters of theme parks. But few of us often think about the rags to riches story of the man who founded the attraction, Walt Disney. The perseverance that it took for him as a founder to achieve all of his success was not easy. In the beginning, Walt was told no many a time often lost everything and had to start from scratch. It took courage, resilience, and strong leadership to turn Disneyland from one man's dream to a reality. In some ways, our next guest's story of resilience and his path to success also aligns with Walt. After teaching college as a professor for many years, he felt he was ready to go for his dreams to write a book, start a course, become a speaker, find that magical career of fulfillment and wonder he'd been longing for. But for years, he put it off, thinking it was too far-fetched or he'd just get to it later. That is until he was diagnosed with a life-threatening brain tumor and was told to put all of his dreams on halt later suddenly didn't feel so far away anymore. Instead of giving up and throwing in the towel, he took a risk, inspired by the wisdom of Walt, and forged on. Dr. Jeffrey Barnes, also fondly known as Dr. Disneyland, is a best-selling author, Disney motivational speaker, higher ed administrator, professor, and leadership success coach. He has more than 35 years of professional speaking experience and 20 years of experience leading teams and teaching college courses. Jeff believes Disneyland's story teaches us some of life's greatest lessons. As long as you know its history, what to look for, and are willing to connect it all with your own story to improve your career, your company, and your life. In his book, The Wisdom of Walt, Dr. Barnes distills Walt's vision, his knowledge and methods into a series of actionable lessons and frameworks to apply to your life and business. And he's here today on Bippity Boppity Business to do just the same. Everyone, please warmly welcome Dr. Jeffrey Barnes. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, hello, Rita. Thanks for having me on. And I love talking about Walt Disney, Disneyland, Walt Disney World. Hopefully that story and my story connects with you and connects with our audience today. So I um, spent a little over two decades in higher education, and uh, most of that was dean of student success, professor of humanities, taught an endless number of courses. I won't give you the curriculum. But the class that I was most well-known for was an accredited college course on uh, the history of Disneyland. And it's the course that led to the books. It was the books that led to the speaking career. But in the middle of all of that, I faced the greatest conflict of my life 
because I dreamed of teaching this college class for years, if not decades. And when I had the idea, a college course on the history of an amusement park, like a lot of us, when we have a great idea, I was immediately filled with fear and, and, and doubts. I didn't want to go back to the university and pitch what I knew, Rita, was a Mickey Mouse idea. So I sat on it. I, I, I sat on it for a really long time. But it was one of those ideas, a lot like the hitchhiking ghost at the Haunted Mansion. It, it followed me home and stayed with me in the middle of the afternoon, kept waking me up in the middle of the night, because that's the thing about crazy ideas and crazy dreams. Um, they, they, they keep pestering you. So I eventually pitched my Mickey Mouse idea. The university bought on it because I was teaching in Southern California, and they recognized the importance and influence of Disneyland on local history, state history, and ultimately national history. And then the day after I gave the first lecture in a class that I had been dreaming of teaching for, for years, I was then diagnosed with a life-threatening brain tumor. And they wanted to operate immediately, told me I had the weekend to get my affairs in order and wanted to schedule the surgery for Tuesday. And all of this was happening on a Friday. And I looked at the doctor at Cedar sinai in downtown Los Angeles. And I said, sorry, doc, Tuesday is not going to happen. And he wanted to know, what are you doing that's so important and so significant that you're willing to put off brain surgery and risk your life? And that's when I shared with him, well, guess what? I'm a doctor too, and I have class. And he wanted to know, well, what class are you teaching? Again, so important, so significant that you're willing to risk your life. And when I told him it was history of Disneyland, I thought he was going to kill me before the brain tumor ever had a chance. But here's the key point. I don't see the parks just as an escape. I see them as an example. I don't see Disney as the place where dreams come true. I see it as the place that can show you how to make your own dreams come true. It's what the class was about. It's what the books are about. It's what my keynote um, message and workshops are all about. And it was something that I believed in so passionately at that point that I was willing to take any risk necessary uh, to get that message out. And I think as entrepreneurs, we reach that point in our life, in our, our business, where we have to put all the cards on the table and take those risks. 99 years ago, Walt Disney went bankrupt with his first studio in Kansas City, Missouri. His first studio was a little studio called Laughagram, and it lasted only 18 months. And at that point, he could have either given up stayed in Kansas City. That was the safer option. It's where he had friends, it's where he had family. Or he could go all in by boarding the train and coming to California. And he chose the latter option. But when he boarded that train, Rita, he boarded that train with $40, a single suitcase, and a one-way ticket. And the lesson here is when you're chasing your dreams, when you're going after your goal, you got to go all in. And I can remember thinking in that doctor's office, this is my opportunity to do what Walt did back in 1923, and that is go all in. Board that train, make the commitment, $40, single suitcase, one-way ticket. And chances are there's someone listening to us right now 
who is facing that sort of fork in the road and they're trying to figure out which way to go. And my encouragement is to pick the passionate option and to make the choice where you have to put it all on the line. You board the train, $40, single suitcase, one-way ticket. The story is so powerful because of two reasons. One, it's not only a testament to your passion and your drive for what you wanted to do, but like I alluded to earlier, it's a strange parallel to what Walt's journey was. You had this desire not to talk about Disneyland from the, you know, only the entertainment, like, oh, this is a cool thing to do side. Like you you and I align on this idea that it's not the park itself, but it's the tenacity and the business and the, the innovation and the resilience behind what Walt as a founder did to create those things, to make those things happen. And if he could do that, we can all learn from that and do that in our own way. And instead of, you know, just saying, hey, all right, I give up on my idea, I give up on my class, I give up on my students, you went all in. And that is something that a lot of people do need to hear right now. There are a lot of shifts happening in the job market. There's layoffs. There's people starting businesses. I started mine. I had to make my own all-in decision. I was laid off earlier this year and I could have gotten a job full-time like a couple days later if I found one. And I actually was having a hard time finding one. And I decided to my for myself, like, this is the time we can, we can make, it's now or never kind of a thing. So I really wanted to talk more about the innovation side of, of what happens after. So, you know, Walt goes on this journey, you know, he has to do whatever it takes to get there, but strategically, you know, how he had to innovate or problem solve in order to achieve his goals, um, you know, we're very unique. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. So you mentioned technology a little bit earlier. And Walt, Walt was a very unique individual in the sense of he had one foot in the past. He loved history. He loved nostalgia. He loved honoring who he was and where he came from. But he always had one foot in the future as well. And he embraced technology. He wanted to move forward into the future. And technology is defined as anything invented or created after you were born. So think about Disneyland for just a moment. Um, the only way he made Disneyland possible was through a partnership with ABC Television. Now, television, we don't think of television as a breakthrough technology in 2022. Right. But in the mid-1950s, it was ooh, the latest and the greatest, right? And everyone in Hollywood was terrified of television because it was going to destroy the movie industry. Everyone except for Walt Disney. Walt Disney embraced television. He went into business and had a partnership with ABC television because he recognized it as the next latest greatest. And he knew that TV would give him the opportunity to go directly into uh, the American home and speak directly to the American family. And if it were not for television and Walt's willingness to embrace technology, and this goes back to sound with the original Mickey Mouse cartoon and Steamboat Willie 
it, it goes back to the full-length animated feature film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I mean, Walt does this over and over and over again. And in order for him to create the world's first truly successful theme park, again, he has to embrace technology. And so today, you know, we have technology encroaching on us in any and every direction. And I think the challenge is how do we stay grounded in terms of who we are, where we're coming from, stay true to those traditions. So for example, Disneyland, Main Street, USA, you know, Walt was uh, a boy from the Midwest and remembered his best memories from his childhood of Marceline, Missouri, and yet at the same time, keep moving forward and making sure we're embracing uh, the future and open to what's coming down the road of tomorrow. And again, Walt was a rather unique individual in terms of knowing where he came from, knowing who he was, but being willing and open to seeing what's coming down the road. He was a tremendous uh, futurist that way. I think that's very powerful because I, I want to touch on something interesting that you are really good at helping people do which is believing in those wild ideas. You know, there's a lot of people that are visionaries, they're entrepreneurs that are visionaries. And the work that they do, maybe they have that, you know, foresight to see the technology of what's coming. Maybe they have the foresight to, you know, create a brand that touches on the past, but does something great for the future, but they don't know how to believe in themselves and believe in that idea. Um, what can we learn from Walt and what can you, what, what encouragement and knowledge can you provide for those of us who have trouble believing in ourselves to go for those big things? Well, I think first of all, just recognize that failure um, and obstacles are part of the path and part of the journey. Again, Walt was bankrupt in 1923 at the ripe old age of 21. And even after he came to California and founded the Disney Brothers studio uh, with his older brother, Roy, which today is the largest entertainment company anywhere in the world. From there, he would go on to create his first successful cartoon character. And when I poll my keynote audiences, they all just assume, well, that's got to be Mickey Mouse, right? Because Walt said we can never forget it all started with a mouse, except it didn't, Rita. It really all started with a rabbit, Oswald, the lucky rabbit. And Walt would go on to lose that very successful cartoon character five years down the road in a, a distribution dispute and trademark deal with Universal. And it was only after that failure and staring bankruptcy in the face all over again that he is forced to come up with Mickey Mouse. And in that crisis, I think we learn um, you, you, you really are forced in any and every crisis moment to either panic or pivot, implode or innovate, uh, retreat or be resourceful. And Walt made the choice, and he makes this choice on the train ride home from New York back to Los Angeles. He makes the choice um, to pivot. He makes the choice to innovate. He makes the choice to be resourceful. And in doing so, creates the world's most popular and profitable cartoon character ever. Again, with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, nobody believed 
to include his own brother, Roy, that we needed a full-length animated feature film. Uh, Roy even wrote him a note. Hey, Walt, why don't you stick to shorts, meaning the shorter cartoons? And this is in the middle of the Great Depression when really the only studio in Hollywood that's making any money is the Disney studio because of the popularity of the Mickey Mouse cartoons. And then when he was building Disneyland, it's been said that Walt Disney did not have a friend in the world while he was building his magic kingdom out of an orange grove in Anaheim because nobody believed to include his own wife and his own brother. No one believed that it would last longer than six months thinking that it would be shuttered and bankrupt in that short amount of time. And just this past week, we celebrated in grand style its 67th birthday. So again, you got to believe in yourself. You've got to believe in your ideas. You have to know that failure and resistance is part of the journey. And yet at the same time, I think the forgotten hero in all of this story is Walt's older brother, Roy. I, I tell people all the time, the difference between the Laughagram studio, which failed in only 18 months, and the Disney Brothers studio, that again today is the world's largest entertainment company. The difference is not Walt, the difference is Roy. And so it's great to be the visionary. It's great to have these incredible ideas. You have to have someone who is dotting the I's, crossing the T's, keeping you grounded and making sure that you're on sound financial footing. And that was Roy. Roy was, was a little overly cautious, just like Walt was probably um, too much of a dreamer. Together, they made an incredible partnership. And I think arguably... Um, the biggest brother team in the history of American, if not world business. I would agree that partnership of visionary plus integrator, uh, as we call it now, probably wasn't even dubbed that when they were doing what they were doing, you yeah. know? And it was their ability to communicate and, and find that, you know, it fascinates me how they were still able to find that middle ground because there are a lot of uh, visionaries that work with someone on their team to help them implement and make those processes happen and execute that have a difficult time working with each other to make those things happen. Um, I wonder what was so special about the two of them that they were able to work through all of that and still believe in each other to make things happen. Well, I think, first of all, we talk a lot today about solopreneurship. I, I don't think there is any such thing. Um, there, there's nobody who is out there doing it 100% on their own. And if you are, I, I don't think you're doing it right. I don't think you're doing it well. And I don't think you're nearly as successful as you could be if you had people alongside you, helping you, supporting you, encouraging you, and coming alongside you, and, and maybe pushing up against you and maybe giving you a little bit of resistance. Um, because Roy wasn't always wrong in doubting and questioning some of the things that Walt was up to. And at the same time, as much as Roy would frustrate Walt, inevitably, Roy would come around. So, for example, when Walt said to his brother Roy, hey, guess what, buddy? We're going to build an amusement park. And Roy says to his little brother, you know, you have had some crazy ideas in your day. We are not building 
an amusement park. And it got so bad at one point, um, Roy called the banks and said, if my brother comes down there to talk again about that blankety blank, 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 blank amusement park, I need to know about it. Because again, Roy ran the financial end of the company. And right. they ended up telling Walt that he had to form a separate company, which ended up becoming WED, or as we know it today, Imagineering, to protect the studio from going bankrupt when Disneyland inevitably failed. And then Walt wanted to use his own name for the new company. And Roy and the stockholders were like, no, you can't do that. Your name's already attached to the studio. I mean, it got really ugly and really bitter there for a while. However, it was Roy who took the first drawing of Disneyland to New York City to try and pitch it and sell it to network television. Now, granted, NBC didn't want anything to do with it. CBS didn't want anything to do with it. And they finally had to settle with ABC, which was the third place network at the time. And on Monday morning, July 18th, which was really the first day of Disneyland's opening. Yeah, we celebrate July 17th, but that was for the press and the media, celebrities and VIPs. On Monday morning, July 18th, the first day that tickets were actually sold, the very first person to spend the very first dollar to purchase the very first ticket to get into Disneyland was Walt Disney's older brother, Roy. So again, if, if you have the right people and they give you the right amount of resistance, uh, eventually they, they will come around. And again, you, you, you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to hold on to that vision and push through, push through, push through. I think that's very powerful because if you are uh, surrounding yourself with a bunch of people that are only telling you yes and giving you yeses, there's probably a problem. Right. <laughs> you probably need to reassess like, hmm, do, do these people really care? Because if somebody cares, they will ask the right questions in order to help you get to where you need to be and get the result. And if everybody's on board with your wild and crazy idea, how wild could it be? How crazy could it be? How big are you actually dreaming? Yes, that's so true because I'm pretty sure ideas that break um, boundaries that, you know, are different, they're probably not very agreeable. <laughs> like it's not something that like everyone would be like, oh yeah, cool. But if I came out, like you said, in the fifties, I was like, I'm going to make an amusement park. People are going to be like, what yeah. the hell are yeah. you talking so about? A, a couple of quick stories there. Um, you know, when Walt started dreaming of an East coast Disneyland and really the entire purpose of that was so Walt could get into urban planning or what we know of today as Epcot, which was never going to be another theme park. It was going to be an actual city, an experimental prototype community or city of tomorrow. Um, he had purchased either 10,000 or 14,000 acres, and then suddenly an option for another 10 or 14,000 acres lands in his lap. And he goes to Roy and wants Roy to write the check. And Roy goes, my gosh, Walt, you already have how many thousands of acres in Central Florida, and you need this many more? And Walt looks at him and says, Roy, what would you do for an additional 10,000 acres in Anaheim today? And Roy looks at him and says, ah, you're right. And so he writes the check. And 
wow. when when Walt Disney dies six months before they ever break ground in Florida. People don't realize this. Um, when Walt Disney dies six months before they ever break ground in Florida, the night before Roy is in that hospital room across the street from the studio in Burbank. And Walt is laying in the bed that he will pass away in the next morning. And he's looking up at the ceiling tiles, drawing out where the magic Kingdom's going to go, where Epcot's going to go, where the monorail is going to run. And then the next morning when Walt Disney pass, it's Roy who comes out of retirement and it's Roy who insists that it be called not Disney world, but Walt Disney world in honor of his brother. And then Roy will spend the final five years of his life making sure that that last dream or that last vision of his younger brother comes to fruition. Uh, they open uh, the first phase, which is Magic Kingdom and the Contemporary Resort, Polynesian Resort. Uh, they open it in October of 1971, and then Roy dies just two months later. Up until that point, because Roy had run the financial end of the company, up until that point, Roy Disney had been over to Disney Imagineering in Glendale, which is three miles away from the studio. Roy Disney had been to Disney Imagineering one time. And now he's responsible for all yeah. of it. I can't even imagine. <laughs> like, I can't even imagine having to be in that situation and going through that. But that's that. the power like, of vision. That's exactly. That's the power of vision. And that's also the power of being able to communicate that vision in a way like after you believe in your vision to be able to communicate it and storytell it in a way that gets people yep. on board is something even more powerful. And you're a really great storyteller, in my opinion. I, I truly believe that. So I feel that um, asking this question is going to be great because Disney, I feel the company and it starts with Walt does a phenomenal job of storytelling being woven through everything they do. The storytelling is present in something as simple as a welcome home plaque when you go into a resort or something as significant as an advertisement. In your opinion, um, is, is the storytelling of Disney what makes it such a successful company? Like, what do you think about that? Absolutely. So um, Walt Disney, for all of his successes... And he had as many failures as successes, by the way. But for all of his successes, right. whether it was uh, as an animator or cartoonist, short films, live full-length animation, live action, amusement park operator, or even in his desire to get into urban planning, number one, Walt Disney most wanted to be remembered as a storyteller. And people in Hollywood will tell you there was never anyone better than Walt Disney when it came to telling stories. Um, it's how he sold the studio on Snow White. There's this great story of how the animators didn't get it, didn't get it, didn't get it. And he called them all in late one afternoon and gave them all enough money to go to dinner and said, when you guys are done, I, I, I want you back here. I want to share something with you. And when they returned, he got up on the stage and acted out the entire story of Snow White 100% on his own. And the animators never forgot it. They thought it was the most amazing thing they had ever seen. And that's what gave them the vision and the inspiration and the motivation to get started 
on what I think is probably the most important movie the studio has ever made. And some have argued the most profitable movie that has ever come out of Hollywood. And that, of course, is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, he built Disneyland for the purpose of telling stories. We had amusement parks in the 1950s, but they were parks that only engaged us physically. Walt wanted to build a park that told stories, a park that sparked our imaginations, a park that engaged us mentally. And I think most importantly, Rita, a park that in telling stories made us no longer passive spectators, but active participants, active participants in our own great story, and then challenged us at the end of the day to go home and do what? Live our own great story. And I, I think that that is in the DNA of the company. And I hope that um, it's present in everything that they do, whether it's in a welcome home plaque that you can buy as a souvenir or in everything that happens in a resort, in a theme park, in a cartoon or in a full length movie to this day. I mean, you have studied narr narrative and storytelling at length, right? And I want to know, like, what what are the tenets of good storytelling? Well, first of all, let me say this, um, and I think this is important for entrepreneurs to hear. All of us as human beings have critical needs, and we're aware of the fact that we need food, we need water, we need shelter. Number four is story. Story is how we understand the world. It's how we make sense of what's happening in the world around us. Story is very much a felt need. And so when Walt stands up on the stage and tells a story, uh, when he builds a park for the purpose of telling stories, um, you know, Disneyland isn't a frivolous sort of thing. He's meeting a need and he meets that need regardless of whether we realize we needed it or not. And it's why uh, even despite the failures of the opening day or Black Sunday, by Labor Day, July 17th to the first Monday of September, the park is already welcoming its one millionth guest. It's because it meets that felt need and people are like, oh, my gosh, you know, this place is incredible. We got to get there and we need to come back over and over and over again. But then secondly, I think most people are mistakenly looking for the happily ever after ending story and don't realize every great story requires conflict. And so for those of you who are struggling in your life or in your business, those of you who are struggling personally and professionally, just twist that around for a moment and imagine I'm just living a great story right now. And again, every great story requires conflict. And if the story did not have conflict, it would be boring. Nobody would be interested. Uh, you, you would be watching a movie about middle-aged men living in the suburbs, driving Volvos. Nobody would care. So, yeah. Exactly. And, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I think um, the last 18 to 24 months of COVID, nobody would have wished that on anyone. And yet we're probably going to remember this period more than almost any other period in our lives. And chances are we've leveled up as a result. We're better as a result. Um, we're doing things that we didn't do before because, again, the conflict makes us better. One of my favorite expressions is 
in order to be the hero in your own great story, you have to be willing to head off on the path because that's what every hero does. And you have to be willing to sharpen your sword. Well, why do you need to sharpen your sword? Because inevitably heroes have to slay dragons along the way. And when people realize there's going to be conflict, because we love stories, we don't love conflict. When they realize there's going to be conflict, right. they realize there's going to be dragons. And sometimes they're big, fire-breathing, brain tumor kinds of dragons. Right, Rita? When we realize there's going to be dragons, again, we want to shy away. We want to step away. But I try to encourage and motivate people and get them to realize the bigger your dragon, the better your story. So again, I understand things aren't as you would want them to be. Uh, things are difficult. Things are challenging. Um, but Walt recognized life is filled with both light and dark shadows. And if you want to level up your life, make the choice to do harder, more difficult things. Embrace conflict. I think of Bambi and how pretty dark that movie is. I mean, there's some serious conflict there, but it wouldn't be the movie that it was without that. That was that was a risk that he took, but people relate to the journey. They relate to the the process. And on a more positive note, the the TV episodes he did where he showed the process of building Walt Disney World was fascinating. And it was uh, fascinating because people got to feel part of the process. Um, and there are so many business owners out there and entrepreneurs that don't want to share the process or behind the scenes because maybe they don't think it's interesting or maybe they're ashamed that they're struggling to build what it is they want to do. Social media makes us want to look, look and feel perfect at all times. But when reality is we want to actually, as humans, see that process and feel like we can relate to you. Because like you said earlier, if I don't know what you've gone through and you've had a perfect life from well, at least what it seems like, then yeah. why would I care? <laughs> Do I? Does that create that connection? Well, no, I, I think, don't think so. Um, you, you need to invite your guests, your customers, your audience into the story. And then once you do that, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. And the idea behind vulnerability literally means to lean into the wound. All of us have wounds. All of us have traumas. Uh, all of us have had to deal with conflict, probably unresolved conflict in our life. Um, it's part of the human condition. It's part of our own story. So, for example, Walt did not have a great childhood. and had a very difficult relationship with his father. Uh, the only good years were his years in Marceline, Missouri, ages four to nine. And he was devastated when the farm failed. They sold it and moved to Kansas City, Missouri. Well, when he was building Disneyland, he wanted to go back to the only fond memories of that childhood and recreate Marceline, Missouri by way of Main Street, USA. And so he gives us the most perfect version of Main Street USA that ever existed because it's an idealized version. How does he do that? By leaning into the wound of his childhood and inviting us into that very difficult, if not actually tragic story. Dr. Barnes, you are a historian and a scholar, and I love every moment that we speak. Unfortunately, 
I feel like if we had unlimited time, we'd probably speak for like seven hours. So, you know, we had the deep talk about story. We talked about resilience. We talked about courage. Now we're just going to have a little bit of fun. So I, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and do a fun Disney rapid fire question moment. Come on, everybody. Here we go. Off to question land. If you could have any magical prop or thing um, from any Disney movie and you could have it in real life, like what would it be and why? I don't know if it's in the movie or not, but every time I go to Disneyland and I get on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, there is a tapestry (laughs) inside the queue just on the other side of the railing where you board the motor car. And I tell people, if I could ever sneak mm-hmm. into the park in the middle of the night and I could take one thing from the park, it would be that tapestry. So um, there, there, <laughs> it's a drop-dead gorgeous tapestry inside Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And we still have Mr. Toad at Disneyland. I know it no longer exists at Walt Disney World. I'm almost hesitant to say this because if it ever goes missing, now they know where to look, right? My one right. prop would be the, the tapestry from Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Amazing. Okay. If Disneyland invited you to do an exclusive experience, they were like, hey, like there's this thing that not a lot of people get to do, but we want you to come and do it. Um, what would you, what would it be for you? Like, what would you want to spend the night in Walt's apartment above the firehouse on Main Street, USA? Man, that would be insane. (laughs) That would be crazy. Uh, for me, my dream is to spend the night in Cinderella Suite in Magic Kingdom, uh, Walt Disney World. So I don't know. Do you know anyone that's been able to go? Have you been inside the suite by any chance? I'm getting, I'm going to ask everyone on this, on this show until I get there. (laughs) You keep me updated. If you have something there, and you need, uh, I don't know, some help or Not something to carry you know, your bags you know, right? or, or a tour guide assistant. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> okay, last question. Um, if you were able to have a, a conversation with Walt today, but you were able to ask him only one question, what question would you ask him and why? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I would want to know, I would want to know what he... And, and and this is going to take some foreknowledge on Walt's part, and he's been gone since 1966. Um, I would want to know what he thinks of Steve Jobs and Steve's impact on our world. And the reason why I say that, and I, I'm not a believer in reincarnation. That's not really where I'm going. But I have always thought and theorized that Steve and Walt are very similar, almost identical sorts of personalities. The only difference is Walt was born in 1901. Steve was born in the 1950s. Walt grew up in the Midwest. Steve grew up on the West Coast. But short of that, in terms of visionaries, in terms of impact on history and culture, very, very, very similar sorts of personas. And I know everybody wants to go, well, yeah, but Steve is an SOB. Well, Walt could be too. We just don't hear about it as much. And I think it's tempered somewhat by both, again, time and that Midwestern culture versus the West Coast persona. Yeah. I wonder what he would say about all of that. That would be so crazy. 
Well, Dr. Barnes, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, I would like you to have a moment to shout out anything you'd like. I know you have a course, you have a book. How can we access and learn more about sure. this? You can find my best-selling books on Amazon. Again, The Wisdom of Wall, Leadership Lessons from the Happiest Place on Earth, or the follow-up sequel, Beyond the Wisdom of Wall, Life Lessons uh, from the Most Magical Place on Earth. And you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Disneyland, TikTok at Dr. Disneyland, Facebook, uh, Jeff Barnes. And I do, I've taken my History of Disneyland course and moved it to an online format. Anyone can take it from anywhere in the world. And you can reach out to me, Jeff at thewisdomofwalt.com. And I'd love to have a conversation uh, with anyone about anything Disney at any time. Well, it's been a pleasure for everyone listening. We really appreciate the time that you have taken to hear our conversation. If anything has stood out to you, send me a message about your favorite part of the episode, and I'll try to create more content around that topic. Other than that, it's been a wonderful time, and hope you have a magical day. You've been listening to Bippity Boppity Business. Like what you hear so far? Leave us a review in Apple. Or listen to us anywhere you prefer listening to your podcast. Until next time, have a magical day.